The reading is from Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 10 through to verse 21. And in the Blue Bibles, that's page 1046. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 21. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she strengthened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, The synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for eighteen long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden, It grew and became a tree, and birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked all through the dough. Thank you, Eleanor. This is the story of the great kingdom, Bake Off. Um, You might be slightly more familiar with its spin-off series, The Great British Bake Off. Um, That's the program where the silver-haired man aggressively pokes bread and judges who has the least soggy bottom. I'm sorry, that's uh, that's weird, but um, it is a weird program. I do think this story is is a Bake Off, though. Uh, Let me explain. On, um, as I turn to the passage... uh, On one baking station, we find the religious elite. Um, Back in chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And um, here in these verses, at this baking station, the religious elite are here, and they are baking up a massive, extra-large loaf of hypocrisy. Um, But also, we have Jesus here, and he himself, as we've just read, describes the work of the kingdom as the work of a baker. What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms of flour. So, here is the great kingdom bake-off. We have the yeast of the Pharisees versus the yeast of the kingdom Here we find a taste of what Jesus has to offer 
versus the taste of uh, what the religious elite have to offer. Um, I think the reading self-evidently divides itself into two. We've got a narrative followed by two short parables, and we're going to see later that they are very tightly connected. But first, I think it would be good to just dive straight into the story. Verse 10 sets us off in a very Jewish, Old Testament Jewish context. It's the Sabbath, and Jesus rests from his journey to stop off in a local synagogue. And it's perfectly normal for a visiting rabbi to teach in that setting under the supervision of the leader of the synagogue. So that's what Jesus does. No different to if we were to have a visiting speaker, except obviously it's very, very different. As Jesus is teaching, one person in the congregation really stands out to him. Maybe he's in the middle of his sermon, but he stops and calls this person to come near to him. So as part of the congregation, we're all kind of sitting up in our chairs. We're craning our necks, trying to get a view of who this person is. And forward steps a woman. Perhaps it takes a long time for her to reach the front. Perhaps there are even gasps of pain as she takes each step. She's bent over, almost doubled. She hasn't stood up straight for 18 years. Some of us even here know the reality of chronic back pain, and we do pray for you in that. Um, The cause of this woman's issue in the passage here, according to verses 11 and 16, was a spirit of Satan, but without a very good reason for thinking otherwise, you should not assume that this is the cause of your pain. When we look at the Bible as a whole, we see that this sort of demonic oppression is very concentrated around the life of Jesus while he was on earth. Yes, um, evil spirits are mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, but most of them are mentioned in the Gospels. It seems like the devil was particularly active in opposing the mission of Jesus. And even in Jesus' day, um, many of the illnesses he encountered did not have this spiritual element to them. So for us, in these days, we certainly shouldn't be assuming that there's a spirit behind every single pain that we come across. We should be far, far more ready to uh, attribute that pain to just the, the sad, painful reality of life in a fallen world. Now, Jesus sees this woman in her pain, and she says, uh, he says to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. He puts his hands on her, and immediately she stands up straight, tall and strong, for the first time in nearly two decades. And there at the front of the congregation, she is full of hallelujahs and praise. Here, in just one act, we see a taste of what the kingdom of God is all about. It's Jesus taking the initiative, taking the first step towards an outsider. It's Jesus defeating an evil spirit. It's Jesus bringing an end 
to a woman's suffering. This is what Jesus does. But in verses 14 to 16, we also get a taste of what the religious elite are all about. Jesus has just healed this woman. She's in the middle of praising God. And then another robed gentleman stands up and makes his way to the front. Now, if if you're ever not happy with something I say in a sermon, um, that's totally fine. Even I don't agree with everything I've ever said. Um, But but maybe don't make your way to the front and do it there and then. Uh, It's much nicer if you sort of pull me to one side. Um, If you're especially nice, you might do it, say, on a Tuesday when I've sort of emotionally recovered a bit and just say, oh, Andrew, I'm not sure that was quite right. That's that's totally fine to do. Um, But this synagogue leader doesn't even address Jesus. He certainly doesn't take him to one side to express his concerns. This synagogue leader just doesn't even speak to him. He doesn't acknowledge that an amazing miracle has taken place. He's full of hot, burning rage because of the day of the week that this miracle has happened on. There are six days for work, he says to the people. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Yet he can't push Jesus aside quite so easily. I like that in verse 15, Luke takes the time to call Jesus the Lord. And as the Lord's, only he gets to define how the Old Testament law is interpreted. Jesus says, not just to the synagogue leader, but to all the religious elites represented in the congregation, verse 15 and 16, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? As Jesus says there, um, the, the religious elite of Old Testament Israel, their traditions did allow them to lead an animal uh, to get a drink, just as long as the animal wasn't carrying anything uh, for the owner. They recognized the need in their traditions to show compassion to oxen, to donkeys, and yet here is a, a poor old woman, bent double, for 18 years, and they have zero love for her. It's the yeast of the Pharisees. It is hypocrisy. So what's the verdict in the great kingdom bake-off? On one baking station, we have a taste of what the religious elite of Old Testament Israel have to offer. Law without love, hypocrisy. On the other side, we have a taste of what Jesus has to offer. Compassion to an outsider. The defeat of evil. An end to suffering. The result is is obvious. Verse 17. When he said all this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. 
Now, why is it important for us to know about these events? We can kind of move on to the next slide here. It's, it's a wonderful, true story. But why specifically do we need to know about it? Why do we need to be reflecting on these events as we start work or whatever we've got to do tomorrow and throughout the week? What impact should it have? The answer is found in the two parables, the mini parables that follow in verses 18 to 21. And initially, these parables might seem unrelated to the narrative that I've just talked us through. That's partly because in our English translations, um, it sort of hides that verse 18 starts with a very strong therefore. You won't see that in the Bibles in front of you, uh, but it's there. And this word links the events in the synagogue to the two mini parables that follow. It's like these events have happened, so Jesus says, verse 18, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its, in its branches. And again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked through all through the dough. Uh, here is a jar of grainy mustard. I didn't have any mustard seeds in my cupboard um, how many mustard seeds do you think are in this jar? Um, thousands, thousands, surely. Um, they, are, they are tiny. And yet, Jesus says that the kingdom of God starts off tiny and yet grows into a tree large enough for many, many birds to find rest and shelter. Here is a packet of instant dried yeast for baking. Um, I don't think it's possible to count how many microorganisms are, are in this packet. Um, they are, well, micro, aren't they? Um, but it's powerful. It's powerful. Did you notice um, how much flour the woman is using? In the verses that I read, verse 21, 30 kilograms of flour, who's she feeding? Like an average kind of this size bag of flour, that's one kilogram, I think, isn't it? She's got 30 of these, and she's tipped it all out in her kitchen. And yet this, this tiny yeast is working through the whole massive loaf, and the bread rises. So taking these two mini parables together, what's Jesus saying? The kingdom of God starts off small, but it's growing and it's powerful. The kingdom of God starts off small, but it's growing and it's powerful. And remember that hidden therefore in verse 18 it shows that this is a commentary on the events that have just happened, Jesus' healing in the synagogue. In what sense might people 
hear about the events in that synagogue and think, oh, well, that's a bit small, isn't it? Well, many people did have far grander ideas about what the Messiah would be doing when he showed up. They might be thinking, surely Jesus should be spending his time with military generals and politicians rather than insignificant people with back pain. They might think, surely the Messiah would be welcomed with open arms by the religious elite rather than rejected by them. All this rural obscurity might seem small on the world stage. But Jesus says, eventually, the mustard seed will become a tree. Yes, the religious elites of Old Testament Israel rejected Jesus, but many birds would come to rest in the branches of his kingdom. In the language of the Old Testament, uh, this bird imagery represented people from outside the nation of Israel. But it's probable that Jesus is talking about rest for outsiders even more generally than that. The growth of God's kingdom would not be of the elite, but the poor, the blind, the oppressed, sinners like us. He calls people like me, people like you, to come near. We come as we are, in our brokenness, and we find true rest and shelter in him. And that is how the kingdom grows. Small, seemingly insignificant, repeated thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions and billions of times throughout the last 2,000 years and on into the future to a massive tree full of rest for people like us. The kingdom grows. And Jesus says, the yeast will work through all the dough. Yes, this miracle barely registered a murmur on the world stage, but oh, it's powerful. And that power is spreading. What started as one victory over an evil spirit would soon become the defeat of the devil himself. On the cross, Jesus paid all our debts, and so our accuser has nothing left to say. The devil is done. And what started as release from, for one woman from her suffering will eventually mean an end to all suffering in all places for all of time. On the cross, Jesus took our curse, so he has opened up a way into a world where all brokenness is done, healed. Maybe you're reading these verses as someone with chronic back pain or pain or suffering of any other sort, and you're, you're wishing why doesn't Jesus do that for me? I wish he would do that for me. If you're a Christian, he definitely will. He definitely will. You might have to wait. You might have to wait. But even if you do, one day your saviour will put his hands on you and say, your, 
You are set free from your infirmity. All pain gone forever. The kingdom starts small, but it's growing and it's powerful. How should we respond to what we've been considering this morning? It's really simple, isn't it? Um, But how should we respond with certainty and with confidence? This is um, the last sermon we're having in Luke for a while. We're going to be moving into Daniel. We've been spending a lot of time with Jesus on discipleship roads, the, the, the path that leads to heaven via the cross. We've been learning what it's like to be disciples. But in the background, there's been another kind of spirit-inspired purpose running throughout everything. Certainty. Confidence. There are t- particularly in this case, particularly when the kingdom might seem small to you. There are many different ways where our perspective might get twisted about what the kingdom of God is like. Uh, maybe through, through routine, we've just kind of got used to it. We've just kind of got used to what life is like with Jesus. And turning up on a, on a Sunday to church just, just seems quite normal, mundane, expected. Or showing up for um, one of the, the Friday groups or, or any other place you're serving, it, it just, it's just the same thing as last week. It's not impressive anymore. It's just normal. Or maybe you've, you've sort of been a Christian for a few years now and you're just sort of used to it. Uh, there's another way that we might um, have our perspective um, kind of warped about the kingdom of God. We might, we might be disappointed. We might be disappointed that things aren't necessarily quite as dramatic as we hoped they might be. We hoped that we might be done with that sin by now. We hoped that that family member might have become a Christian by now. We hoped that we might have kind of made a few steps forward. And so, and so the kingdom seems small. But hear Jesus' words from these verses. The kingdom starts small, but it's growing and it's powerful. No matter what we might think. When we feel like that, look back and look forwards. Look back at the big picture of what has happened in the history of God's kingdom. At one point, um, yes, Jesus' followers could all fit in one room. And yet, within like 300 years of Jesus' resurrection, 50% of the Roman world named their allegiance to Christ. And the church has just continued to explode ever since then. And look forwards as well. Because what Jesus is saying here is true. One day, what will the kingdom be like? The yeast will have worked through the whole thing. The healing that we've seen here of this, uh, this poor woman will have spread to all who call on the name of Jesus. Many, many people will be part of finding rest and shelter in the branches of his kingdom. Look forward to what God will do in your situation, 
in maybe you're feeling disappointment at the moment, but that is not how you will be feeling in a few years' time. The kingdom starts small, but it's growing and it's powerful. Let's pray. Father God, when through routine or disappointment we might have our perspective on what your kingdom is like warped, please remind us of what you have said in your word today. Thank you that we can look back and see how your church has just exploded. Thank you for bringing us to find rest and shelter in Jesus. And thank you that billions have done the same. And when we might uh, get this perspective warped through routine, Lord, we pray that, yes, you would give us encouragements along the way, but help us to look forward to that wonderful day when the kingdom comes in all its fullness. Sustain us with that. Keep us going with that. And help us to stand with all the people in these verses, delighted with all the things, all the wonderful things that Jesus is doing. We pray in his name. Amen.